Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. For anybody who's a fan of baseball, or humorous things, or maybe just an average guy done good, you've simply got to love Yogi Berra. No, I'm not talking about that uh, Saturday morning cartoon character, the one with the sidekick named Boo Boo, and who was always trying to abscond with the picnic baskets under the watchful eye of the park ranger. I'm talking instead about that New York Yankees catcher of the 1940s and 50s, who later managed both the Yankees and the Mets, and who is now rightfully enshrined in baseball's Hall of Fame. It seems that Yogi and the proper use of the English language had only the most tenuous of connections at best. Yogi was known to utter such oddball phrases sometimes that there's an entire genre of these sorts of sayings that have become known as Yogiisms, whether he was genuinely the originator of them or not. Among some of the more quirky delights that have supposedly flowed from the lips of Yogi are such pearls of wisdom as this. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. One time he was speaking about a a busy Manhattan restaurant that he didn't like to, to go to anymore. And he said, nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. And for purposes that I hope will become apparent to you today, he's also credited with having once said, it's like deja vu all over again. You see, you may experience a little bit of deja vu this morning. The Bible text you heard spoken a few moments ago by Pastor Knuckles as our gospel lesson today probably sounded relatively familiar because you heard a good portion of it a few weeks ago during the season of Advent. Part of that same text from the beginning of St. Mark's Gospel formed our Gospel lesson early in Advent. That's because in Advent we're talking about preparation. And preparation is what John the Baptist did for the coming of Christ. He certainly had a lot to do with that preparation, didn't he? In fact, you might remember that the beginning of that prophecy, or the beginning of that reading, rather, contains some prophecies that had earlier been recorded in the Old Testament books of uh, Isaiah and Malachi. They tell just how John the Baptist would fulfill his role as being the forerunner of the Christ. God had inspired these prophets hundreds of years earlier to write about John's ministry, And St. Mark quotes them as he begins his gospel. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling. In the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so, John did just that. He preached that the kingdom of God was at hand, and he exhorted the people to repent and to be baptized to receive the forgiveness of their sins. All through his ministry, though, John made it very clear that he was just the messenger and not the message. One was coming soon, John told them, who would be far more important than him, 
Someone who is so great that even John, who was the first important prophet that had come to the people of Israel in hundreds of years, was not worthy to stoop down and do the humble, even humiliating task of untying the other's sandals. There was an important difference, too, John said, in their baptisms. Now, John's baptism was certainly from God, and it was certainly truly effective for the forgiveness of sins. But it did not have the same sort of lasting effect that that baptism that would yet to come would have. John said his baptism was one of water, but that the one who was to follow would baptize them also with the Holy Spirit. Even so, Jesus came from his hometown in Nazareth of Galilee to be baptized in the River Jordan by John. Do you remember the discussion that they had, John and Jesus, about Jesus being baptized? That episode isn't described in our text from St. Mark today, but it is recorded in the Gospel of St. Matthew. And it was quite a discussion. John knew who Jesus was. He was the one whose way John was preparing. Jesus wasn't just a man, and Jesus wasn't just a prophet. No, he was much more than that. John was preparing a way and was making straight paths for the Lord. And that name, the Lord, could only mean one thing to the people of Judea. The Lord, that is Yahweh, was the name that the God Almighty had given to the people of Israel back in Moses' day. A name that they were to call upon in prayer and in praise and in times of trouble and times of need. And knowing that Jesus was Lord, that Jesus was God himself come into the flesh, well, John strongly objected to the idea of baptizing Jesus. I should be baptized by you, John argued. He realized that he, like all of us, was in need of the Savior, that he was a sinful man, that he, in spite of his own miraculous birth from the once barren womb of the elderly Elizabeth, still needed repentance and still needed forgiveness, as do we all. But Jesus knew that it was right and it was necessary for him to be baptized. For in being baptized, Jesus showed his humanity. He connected himself with our sinful condition without having sinned himself. And in the voice and in the words of the Father coming down from heaven, even tearing open the heavens in the way Yahweh had done so many times in the Old Testament, Jesus' divinity was clearly shown to everyone there that day. Likewise, the Holy Spirit, descending in a visible form such as that of the dove, made Jesus' divinity clearly known. Now, this event was not the descent of the Eternal Son onto or into some ordinary man, as some early Christian heretics known as the adoptionists claimed. Nor was it simply the power of God being given to an ordinary man to fulfill some temporary purpose, as many skeptics of Christianity and deniers of the divinity of Jesus argue yet today. No, we already know from Scripture that Jesus' divinity came into and upon his humanity at the very moment of his conception, 
even as the angel spoke to Mary about her being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. It was the Word of God that made the Word become flesh. What happened at Jesus' baptism was this. The Spirit descended rather upon Him who was already prepared and already equipped to receive Him as both God and man. This one who was baptized by John was ready to assume the office and assume the authority of the Son of God and the Son of Man, offices that he already fully held and was rightly entitled to. We see further that John's baptism is not that which causes the Spirit to descend, for not only did such miraculous signs accompany all the other many baptisms John had performed, but that these momentous signs took place after Jesus has been baptized, as he was coming up out of the water. No, these great signs from the Father and from the Holy Spirit are attributable to Jesus and not to John, and they are linked to the divinity of Christ, not to John. For the Father can call no one righteous unless he is righteous or has been made righteous. And the Spirit can rest on no one unless he is holy or has been made holy. And no one is righteous and holy on his own account, but only of God. A new calendar year is underway. And often we like to think of the new year as a fresh start, a clean slate, an opportunity to make changes in our behavior and in our relationships and in ourselves. But despite our best intentions, and even some of our most genuine efforts, we know that most of our best laid plans will completely fail, or at least fall far short of our goals. And even those efforts that do succeed to some extent will only produce superficial results. They might make ourselves look better in the eyes of some, but we're not really fooling God, are we? God knows that deep within us, The rotten stench of sinfulness still dwells, and it looks for times and opportunities when we stray from the Spirit and forget the law. At those times, God cannot call us righteous. He cannot call us holy. And it's only in hypocrisy and an even greater sin that we can think that of ourselves. We are now within the church season known as Epiphany, in which the divine nature of Christ and the purpose of his coming are made known to a fallen and sinful world. And short of performing a miracle himself, there is no surer sign of Jesus' divine nature than that God the Father and God the Holy Spirit make themselves present at the baptism of God the Son. The other persons of the Holy Trinity that day put their stamp of approval on who Jesus was and what he was going to do. For at that very moment, in the waters of holy baptism, there in the Jordan River, the sins of the whole world, including yours and mine, were placed upon Jesus. What has been washed from you and from me in our baptisms was poured in all of its ugliness and all of its filth upon the sinless one. From that moment on, Jesus carried those sins upon himself without being stained or poisoned or corrupted by them. Our stain, our poison, and our corruption 
that heavy load was carried for you by the Son of God. In spite of that burden, though, he resisted all temptations. In spite of that burden, he lived a sinless life. In spite of that burden, he walked forward with trust and with purpose toward the cross. As John would later say about Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But the literal translation of that taking away is this. It is the one lifting up the sin of the world. That is, the one who is bearing that sin. The one who is enduring that sin. The one who is carrying that sin for you. John's baptism was special, certainly. It provided forgiveness of sins to the repentant. And applied to Jesus, it showed his human nature, just as the appearance of the Father and the Holy Spirit showed Jesus' divine nature. That baptism showed Jesus' willingness to begin his ministry, to assume the mantle of preaching the gospel from John the Baptist, and to become the even greater prophet. And it showed his willingness to take upon himself the sins of the whole world, sins that he would then carry forward toward that sin's destruction and defeat. Yet John's baptism did not have the lasting and powerful effect that the baptism that Jesus would institute later for all of us in his own ministry would have, that baptism into Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is this later baptism, the one which you received, in which you are linked forever to Jesus and to the forgiveness of sins and the eternal life that he won for you on the cross. In the later baptism, Jesus made it clear to the church through his apostles that his baptism was to be into the Holy Trinity, into Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And think about this. If this baptism is into the Trinity then this baptism is into God himself. And if it is into God, it is most assuredly into Christ. And if it is into Christ, then that baptism is into his death. And that death is the death that makes sin die. St. Paul tells us this is so when he wrote, as we heard in the letter of Romans to the Romans, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Christ Jesus took baptism upon himself so that he might take our sin upon himself as well. In our sin and by our sin was death. The death that he suffered on our account, though he had no sin of his own. In our baptism, we die as well. Our old Adam, that failed and sinful person, is drowned in the water made sacred by God's word, and by God's presence. Sin dies, and we sinful ones die with it. As we continue our struggle in this new year, with our resolutions and with all the other challenges of life, we struggle against that death, for our faith is not yet perfect, and the battle rages on. But in the end, we do die to sin, for we die with Christ, and we die in Christ. In Galatians, Paul also wrote, All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. What is more marvelous, then, than to be linked eternally with Jesus Christ in his death, 
the one momentous event in all of history in which death itself dies. And what could be more beautiful than to be cloaked in the righteousness of our beautiful Savior, Jesus? He wraps you not in a shroud, not in a funeral pall, but in a garment of righteousness and salvation and eternal life. Cling to that everlasting and righteous garment then. Cling to that death and cling to that baptism, both his and yours. It keeps you securely connected with him who has made you justified and holy in the eyes of God. For you who believe and are baptized into the death and life of Christ, the Spirit descends to dwell upon you and within you as well, strengthening you for your life's journey and giving you the ability to stand up and be counted in the service of the Lord. God calls down to you, the Heavenly Father calls down to you, saying, This is my beloved Son, this is my beloved daughter whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. May the God into whose name you are baptized, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and who has adopted you as his precious children, keep you strong and keep you confident in your baptismal covenant as well, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.